0: But first, be upstanding for Laura Tingle. Good on you, Laura. And uh, let's talk about the new episode of The Untouchables. At least the big four seem to think that's what they are, according to Labor Senator Deb O'Neill. Well, I don't know whether they're feeling very
1: untouchable as, as we speak, Philip. They've had a bit of a, a another Bit of another bad day today, um, partly because of Senator Deb O'Neill. Um, she's she and uh, the Green Senator Barbara Pocock have been um, sort of cutting up uh, the the head of Deloitte this, today, amongst other things. Um, and just as the as the sort of whole horror of what has happened over the last decade, um, in terms of the sort of not the takeover, that's a little bit too extreme, but the sort of infiltration of these big four uh, accounting firms into the public services really started to register with people.
0: The CEO, uh, Adam Powick, Powell, told the hearing that the average base salary of a partner at Deloitte was between half a million and six hundred thousand, but it has Fair been publicly to. reported <laughs> that the same gentleman earns five times that.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so they're all doing pretty well. I mean, I think the thing that uh, people—we've—we've uh, we've spoken about this on numerous occasions. I think Philip, but the thing is, what uh, what the consultancies are doing in a range of government departments is different. Uh, you know, some of them are coming in and. Uh, giving very uh, detailed or, um, you know, sort of high-powered policy advice, uh, for example, on the intricacies of tax law. Um, Sometimes it turns out that they were sharing that with their customers as well. Um, But uh, in a lot of cases, they're sort of a bit like um, labour labour hire agencies, particularly in defence. Um, I know of cases where you know, a partner would be being paid, you know, thousands of dollars a day for ostensibly being, you know, available to the department on, on a particular day. But in fact, he, he was, you know, he had a whole heap of much more junior, much lesser paid staff working there, sort of under his auspices, technically speaking. Um, but essentially, as we've discussed before, I think about 50% of the de- uh, civilian defence workforce um, has been estimated to be made up of uh, employees or subcontracted employees of the c- big consulting firms. Now this goes back to the staff cap that Tony Abbott put on um, the p- public service when he came into office and the easiest way around that was, oh well we'll just hire some consultants because they don't get counted as public servants. So that massively escalated the bill but no, that's one issue and then there are these other issues of the specialist consultants who go in to give advice and it's not just the big four in that case, it's people like McKinsey's in Boston who go in um, usually on um, untended contracts to give advice to agencies like the National Disability Insurance Agency, uh, a multitude of others and you know the scope of it is absolutely massive, we, nobody actually knows how big it is.
0: I'm talking to Laura Tingle. Now, there are clearly issues here about these firms auditing government agencies whom they rely upon for consulting jobs.
1: Well, I suppose I'd observe, Philip, that that's always been a bit of a problem in the private sector too, um, that uh, there's often a, an uncomfortable relationship at both ends of the, of the um, transaction with a, a lot of the big firms who do the audit work. But I think the really big issue... And the really uh, difficult issue here is you can't just say, well, this is all shocking, we've just got to sack all these people and uh, start re-employing people in the public service. I mean, one, you could suddenly start doing that and um, the current government has said, yes, we want to build up public service numbers and expertise again. But you can't really just make up expertise overnight. And I think more importantly, Philip, you know, You can't underestimate the cultural change and the change in the sort of work that public servants do now. I mean, it's not that you've necessarily got people wandering around being policy experts. They're contract managers. Now, I wrote a quarterly essay about this in 2015, and it was the case then. And you suddenly realise, with a shock, that was eight years ago. The skill set in the public service has changed because... Um, You know, there's this whole sort of ecosystem where, particularly under the coalition, uh, but certainly also under Labor governments at both state and federal levels, there is this tendency for both the public service and often for ministers to say, oh, we need a piece of serious advice about this. And the public service girds itself, hides behind, saying, oh, well, we got PwC, Deloitte, know, Boston or whatever, to give us a piece of paper about this. Now, this came out in the RoboDebt Royal Commission numerous times that everybody would go off and get a consultant's report and sometimes all they'd be giving you back, Philip, was a PowerPoint that they got out of your original document in the first place.
0: Your colleague uh, Adele Ferguson revealed tonight on 7.30 that uh, in the past decade, state and federal governments have spent at least $10 billion on, yes, the big four.
1: Well, I, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all, Philip, but I think, once again, I think the, the bill is much higher than that um, and it doesn't just include the big four but, you know, it's billions and billions and billions of dollars and I think the Centre for Public Integrity, which is one of the bodies that likes to, you know, talk about public integrity, has also sort of done some estimates which have been re- sort of released today which show that the number of contracts have gone up by… which mathematicians will tell you is actually technically not a number, but nonetheless.
0: (laughs) Who audits the auditors?
1: Well, I think this is one of the problems. Um, Once again, going back to the RoboDebt Royal Commission, uh, Commissioner Catherine Holmes was pointing out that most of the checks and balances bodies uh, failed in their oversight of this scheme or in investigating complaints or they were unable... Um, because of the way government and public service behaved to find things out. The National Audit Office, that is the Auditor General, is about the only body at this stage who has been able to really sort of look into these things and, you know, investigate in a thorough way. Um, Obviously, you've got Senate inquiries and things, but I think the Audit Office is one, and of course, we've got our shiny brand new National Anti-Corruption Commission, and as we've also discussed uh, here, it's not it's not just about money in brown paper bags that um, is captured by the definition of corruption in the national, in the federal legislation. It's about, you know, misusing public trust, if you like, and uh, and that covers a fairly wide gamut of things, and uh, I think the, um, the National Anti-Corruption uh, Commission may well... I haven't asked them, (laughs) but, you know, as a wild guess, they might be quite interested in some of the issues that arise
0: out of this. Forgive me from being doggedly persistent, but uh, wouldn't it in the long run be cheaper to have the public service do the work?
1: Oh, absolutely. And they could then
0: ensure that, uh, you know, there was genuinely independence.
1: Well, um, you know, dare one sort of uh, revive that great uh, phrase, fat cats, Philip, public service fat cats, I mean... The, the, the public service were the people who are supposed to be doing all this useless work that for which we were overpaying them. But, you know, you look at the average punter public service who's going to work every day has basically a great commitment to the public good and think about how they, much they get paid compared to even somebody who's sitting next to them doing fairly low paid work but doing it for consultancy. It's just chalk and cheese. And then you get these absolutely obscene numbers uh, that are paid to the uh, partners and then even the chief executives of these firms and it just makes you feel quite
0: sick. Laura, a lot of the information that's been revealed about the operation of the Big Four has come from insiders, from whistleblowers. Are they protected?
1: Uh, Well, I think probably the answer is no. I mean, Adele Ferguson was uh, uh, quoting... uh, Brendan Lyon tonight, and he basically lost his job um, because of uh, challenging what was being done at the firm he worked for. Um, whistleblower legislation in the public service is still really, uh, you know, a work in progress. Uh, so I think um, it's not good um, at the moment. You know, it, it's a regime that the government has said it will want to fix up, but it certainly isn't right now.
0: And, of course, we gaze around at the treatment of whistleblowers in this country with a sense of uh, sorrow and shame. Meanwhile, the AFP, Treasury and the ATO have been considering what they could hand over to the Senate inquiry.
1: Well, this is one of the problems, Philip, when you don't have a really cohesive system of investigation, which, once again, we hope that the NAC might help fix, but... You've got all these separate inquiries going on into the um, PwC matter about it um, rev- rev- sharing uh, sort of confidential tax information with its clients while it was consulting with the government, um, and you know there's this process where if you hand if you're the government or treasury and you hand over information to the Senate inquiry, um, which which tables it and may you know, may not stay confidential is that going to interrupt uh, or disrupt the various other inquiries by people like the Federal Police, um, you know, which are going on at the same time?
0: There was an amusing point made by Senator O'Neill who was questioning a a series of dismissals and uh, she compared it to the Catholic Church practice of moving a, a priest accused of misconduct from one parish to another.
1: Oh, yes, well... Yes, I don't know if that's in the amusing category Philip but it's um it's it's pointed anyway
0: I have to ask you about the new reserve Bank governess
1: she governess that sort of sounds a bit nanny state doesn't it I don't we're not into the nanny state Philip um, Michelle Bullock um, very well regarded by her colleagues Um uh, started in 1985. Um, has, there's a lot more to the Reserve Bank, Philip, than just setting interest rates. Um, it, they, you know, they issue currency, though nobody uses it very much anymore. Uh, they run the, the sort of mechanics of the financial system. There are all sorts of other jobs opposed as opposed to just um, setting the interest rate once a month. Uh, she's done most of those jobs. Uh, so she's sort of very... You know, in a sort of managerial sense, she's covered a lot of the bases within the bank. Plus, she's well regarded as a, you know, a, a sort of a really smart economist. Um, you know, she's like a, a lot of women um, had to sort of do this while raising a family at the same time. But you know, moved up the ranks of the bank very quickly and has been moved around in all these different places. Um, is regarded as a sort of a very straight talk a no-nonsense sort of person, um, not particularly uh, hawkish, as they say, on monetary policy. That is, you know, she doesn't want to club the economy to death in the interest of getting the inflation rate down. Um, so I think she's. it's going to be interesting to see how she goes. I mean, Jim Chalmers launched a review of the bank uh, or announced a review of the bank from opposition. He then said its terms um, in the middle of last year, and the review morphed a bit during that pro- during that time, and he was initially talking about it in terms of you know what what was happening to the way interest rates were set and what impact that had had on the fact that wages weren't going anywhere, unemployment was sort of sort of technically strong, but there's a huge underemployment problem. By the time he actually issued the terms of reference for the inquiry, it was on a lot of more mechanical things about how the bank actually went round, went about setting interest rates. You know who was involved. How you know how did the, those processes all work? Now I think we've sort of tended to overlook a little bit what the review actually says because it was seen very much in the context of a lot of controversy about Phil Lowe and his comments about interest rates. Staying where they were till 2024, and you know various other things. Phil Lowe said or did that you know made people cross, but I think it's um, going to be quite a tricky and testing thing for Michelle uh, Bullock to do. Um, and we'll come back to interest rates in a minute um, over the next 12 to 18 months to actually implement some of these things because it it does potentially materially change the nature. Uh, of the way that Reserve Bank makes its decisions and that inevitably potentially has an impact on its uh, independence. So that's going to be something that we'll have to watch over the next little while as it develops.
0: Laura, thanks thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. I've been talking to Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30.
1: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.